I want to right now jump right into the passage that we're doing today. We do expository teaching, so we go verse by verse, and we've been going through the book of Acts. Last week, we looked at Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 14 through 21, and I alluded to, we're going to go back to it and kind of talk more about it. So we're going to do the exact same verses as we did last week. We're repeating them again today. So Acts chapter 2, verses 14 through 21. I want to go ahead and just read it right away so you know where we're at, and then I'm going to jump into what I think is one of the most, probably the best message of the year, because I've only given one so far, so I'm excited for this one. (laughs) Acts chapter 2, verse 14, but Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and, and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For those people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel, in verse 17. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I shall show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass, that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Did you get it all? You understand it all? I'm going to do my best to pick this apart, and I encourage you again, get into a house church so you can talk about Scripture openly and talk about these hard things. But right away, in verse 17, Peter, so what's happened to this point, if if you're not familiar with the story, is Peter and and the apostles, uh, Jesus was living with them, and then he died, and, and he was buried, and then resurrected, and he showed himself to the apostles and said, you saw great things and experienced great things when we were doing life together, but I'm about to leave you, and when I leave you, I'm going to give you the Spirit, it's going to do incredible things. And so what just happened right before these verses is that the Spirit came down upon the disciples and they began to speak in tongues and miraculous things started happening and they moved from a room upstairs in a house to a temple court and in the outer temple court, multitude of people were gathering around because it was just chaos. The Spirit was moving. And so it's in this setting that Peter stands up and gives what you learn to see is the very first message ever given in a church. Right here. This is it. And Peter stands up and he goes, what you guys are seeing going on right now, it's not because they're drunk. I think that's kind of a comic relief. Maybe he was a funny guy. Not sure. It's not because they're drunk. It's because God is doing a new thing in the lives of his church. And he goes through, starting in verse 17, and he quotes the prophet Joel as we get into this. But as we get into verse 17, oh my goodness, man, this is filled with conflict, and this is filled with dissension all throughout times. As we go, and it says in verse 17, and in the last days, last days. You've been in church for a while? Anyone got into conversations about the last days and what the last days are and what's going to happen in the last days? And we're going to talk a little bit about this, but I want to just let you know right from the very beginning, um, uh, I am going to teach us the best that I can today. 
But it's up to you. It's up to you to dive into Scripture. It's up to you to figure out your theology. It's up to you to dig into to the Word and, and to hit great resources throughout the week. So if you think that you can just come on Sunday morning and just get bombarded with great wisdom. <laughs> okay. Uh, so verse 17. The last days re- refers to the overlapping of the two Jewish ages. The, the new age began at Jesus, incarnated in, in Bethlehem. And will last until his second coming. We live in the tension between the already and the not yet. The kingdom of God. And so he's referring to this as the last days. The study of the end times, if you would. Eschatology is the study of the end times. And so if you want to get really nerded out like I love to do, just write eschatology down and go just knock yourself out with learning, okay? So eschatology is a study of end times. And this is one of the most divisive and, and one of the parts of church history that has caused the most division in churches is studying the end times and different thoughts on what the end times is. Church splits and denominations have come about because of the various, varying views, the varied views of the end times. So here's what we do know, okay? Death. Raise your hand if you plan on experiencing it one day. We do, Jason. Okay, I want to see that, dude. We do know that we are all going to die. Well, maybe except if Christ comes back and returns those that are alive in him, wouldn't that be fantastic? Who knows what God's going to do? Probability, we're going to die someday. We know that. We can kind of count on that. The second coming, Christ will return in physical body. It will be the return, the second coming of Jesus Christ. Nobody knows when. In fact, if someone says they know when Jesus is going to return, run from them quickly because they're crazy. No one knows when. And we know that in the second coming, he is the final judge. Man, you are going to like this, some of you. Do you have a slide back there? One of the, that, that colorful ones? <laughs> Just go ahead and look through this one a little bit. By the way, if, if you want a ton of information emailed out to you today or this week on your response card, uh, just put email me info, and I will send you so much info on this that you can be studying for days and weeks and years. So um, I, I want to talk to this a little bit. The great tribulation, post-tribulationists say that Christ does not return till the very end. There's different views on the end time. So we're getting really seminarian here, okay? Some of you are going to dig this. Others just hang with me for a little bit, okay? Pre-tribulationists. Christ returns in two stages. There's a rapture, and he raptures the church. And then there's a tribulation period. And then there is the return publicly of Jesus. Mid-tribulationists. Christ presents, uh, uh, or the church presents in the first half of the seven years. And then is removed before the severe parts of tribulation takes place. All right? I'm still talking through this. There's a final millennial, there's a final state of all of us, and that is the millennium. A thousand years is called the millennium, okay? Many believe in earth, uh, in an earthly reign of Christ preceding the final judgment. So during this millennium, a lot of people believe in an earthly reign. Uh, Returning of Christ, preceding the final judgment. 
And so there's three different categories of this. There's premillennialists. Christ returns to begin that period. There's postmillennialists. Christ returns after the millennium. And then there's all millennialists, which is no earthly reign of Christ, and it's just symbolic. And there's a lot of brilliant theologians on all of these views, pre, post, mid, ah, whatever. You want to know where I'm at? Panmillennialism. It's all going to pan out in the end. <laughs> you can laugh, and it's funny. I've been on both sides. I've been on all sides. I've been in the middle of sides. I can see sides in the beginning. I can see sides in the end. And by the way, I paid $27,000, and I have $27,000 in student loans to say it'll all pan out in the end. So if you want to run that route, go ahead. Here's the deal, though. I think God, in a lot of ways, uses a lot of intellectual people to teach us some fantastic stuff that's important. What we think about our theology drives the way that we live our todays. And so if you really want to dive into this, let's get coffee. Let's talk more about this. Let's uh, put your email down. You want more information. My job is to present the facts that there is more to learn out there. Your job is to dig through the facts. My job is to present and say Christ is moving and doing incredible things in our day and age. It's your job not to be lazy. It's your job to go study. If you want to push back against what we say and then push back against what we say, this is a church that's moving. If not, Christ would have said, this is how it's it, this is how it is, and this is what we're doing. Now you guys deal with it. But what did he do? We're in the passage where Christ died and gave the Holy Spirit and said, go be the church. So church, let's be the church. All the bickering and nitpicking about this academia debate of where you stand on these positions has distracted us from the truth even in this passage. It's important to know what we stand and what we think about end times. I love eschatology, but all the nitpicking that's happened through time and even in this passage has distracted us from the main point of this passage. Look at this passage. What does it say? And in the last days, that shall be, it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. So is the main point of that verse talking about and debating about the end time, or is the main point of that verse right there that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh? I like that. We're talking about the end times. We're talking about being a church. We're talking about Jesus looking at us, throwing us the keys to his kingdom, and saying, you are the church. And during this end times, I will be pouring out my spirit on all flesh. He's saying, church, I have equipped you to be the church. He says, church, I have equipped you to. Look at, look at what he goes through. I've equipped you for prophecy and visions and dreams, and I've equipped you for incredible things and gifted you in fantastic ways. And as we begin to even look at prophecy, one of the things about prophecy, when you want to begin to study and about prophecy, is the lowest form of prophecy is, is encouragement. That's the lowest form of prophecy and knowing what God is doing and how he's doing and how to equip the church. When we begin to look at giftings and how God has gifted each and every one of us, why does he gift us? For the edification of the saints and the glorification of his church for his glory. So in prophecy, even the lowest form of prophecy is encouragement. 
words of knowledge. We begin to ask as we look into each other's lives that we can speak the, the already but not yet. We see great things in each other and we begin to bring that out. We begin to speak heaven and grabbing heaven and bringing it to earth. He's equipped all of us through our gifts to bring heaven to earth. The office of prophet is dead. There is no more office of prophet. It died with the apostles, but the gift of prophecy is very much alive. It's this. Are you asking God for a word of knowledge? Are you asking God for a way to encourage each other? Because as a Christ follower, I want to have prophecy. I want to speak. I want to encourage. I want to speak truth to each other. Are you asking for this? Are you asking for words of knowledge in your own life? For insight into the realm of the unknown? For the Holy Spirit to move in all flesh and all places? See, God says, I, I have equipped you and I will speak to you. All right, so what does this mean? I don't know, I'm practicing. I want to be better at prophecy. I want to be better at encouraging you, my brothers and sisters, and speaking truth. I want to be better at it. I know yesterday I accidentally got a word from God, a word of knowledge about our server. And she, uh, I don't know why, but all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I said, are you writing a book? And her face just went blank. I started four days ago writing a book. And I said, keep going, girl. Keep going. Did I accidentally fall upon that? Maybe. Did God give me a word of knowledge? I absolutely think he did. Are you asking God to give you insight, not only into other people's lives, but into all aspects of our life? I hope so, church. I hope so. Encouragement is the lowest form of prophecy. Ask God for a double portion. We can look in Scripture how Elijah asked Elijah for a double portion of his giftings. I mean, all throughout Scripture, we can see God saying, grow in this, grow in this, move in this, be purposed in this. Practice this change of being the church with our, with our gifts. It's crazy that we think that we can go play basketball and just start shooting. If you want to see what practice does or doesn't do, come watch me play basketball tonight. I will shoot, and I might accidentally make one. But Jabez is going to shoot and probably make one. He's practiced a lot more than I have. Practice is important. Yet we think we can show up in church, and we think we can come to church in the most important aspect of our life and never practice the gifts that God has given us. Just suddenly show up and have a solid word or do something awesome but we never practice, we never ask, we never grow. Church, this is a safe place to do so. House church is definitely a safe place to be asking God, God, what have you, how have you gifted me? What have you gifted me to do? And church, what did it mean when, when I asked this poor waitress if she was writing a book? Like, you begin to practice and you begin to encourage each other. A month ago, I began to notice something. Maybe even two or three months ago, I began to notice something at Church Project. And especially one week in the life of Church Project, multiple places that I went, a word kept appearing. And that was wait, W-A-I-T. Wait. 
I had someone email me, wait. I had someone call me and say, wait. Our house church talked about, wait. There was one other that I'd forgotten there. But the final was this, going to grandpa's house, and he said, I couldn't sleep. I couldn't sleep last night, and I kept seeing a word, and it was wait. I'm like, yep. Well, actually, he said, I couldn't remember the word. And I was like, grandpa, was it wait? He said, yep. I'm like, yep. (laughs) Church, let's practice our gifts that he's given us. Let's ask, let's be expectant that he's going to do powerful things in our lives and the lives of the people around us. I want to give you another example because sometimes when we begin to talk about prophecy, we can move into like this weird place. This is not a weird place. This is a beautiful place. It's not, it's not an office. It's a gift that we're practicing and we're moving in, just like every other gift. But I want to give you another example. Mosaic Church. Anyone ever been there? Mosaic Church with Angel, Pastor Angel Flores. Man, that church is awesome. It's so good. But I want to say about six months ago, Angel Flores got a, a word, and, and they were homeless. They were renting a space downtown. Pretty cool little place. And he got a word saying, you know what, we're done here. And so we're going to start doing a capital campaign. Yeah, you can bring that up. We're going to start doing a capital campaign. And we're going to call this capital campaign Dropping Anchor. So that's what they started. We don't know why, but we know that we're not supposed to meet here anymore. And God's moving to somewhere else. So we're going to raise money. We're going to call it Dropping Anchor. Well, any of you know the old movie theater by Johnny Caranos? Or Carinos, wherever, okay. Angel was walking around that and praying for that building, for Mosaic, for the church. And, and he's like, this is our building. Like, I just know it. It's our building. And so he, he got a hold of the person that was selling it. And that guy's name was Anchor, A-N-C-H-U-R, Anchor. Uh, and he's like, this is it. Like, our capital campaign, God gave me this word, connects me with this place, and, and the guy I'm supposed to talk to, his name is Anchor. I'm like, awesome. So he flies to Dallas and talks to him, and then about two weeks later, I'm driving by, and I see bulldozers bulldozing that movie theater, and I'm like, Angel, they're tearing down your building, and he's, he's what? And he's like crying. He's, he's driving there going, God, did I not hear? Like, what? I thought for sure this was it. Well, let's fast forward a little bit more. You see this image up here. This is Google Maps. This is where Mosaic Church meets now. There's, it's, there's Big O Tires, so Walmart, Sam's area down in Evans. And he just realized about three months ago that the cross streets are 23rd and Anchor Drive. In the building that God did provide for them. Amen. That's pretty dang powerful. I told Angel I was telling you that story this morning and that half of you would probably go to Mosaic next week. So tell him hi if that's the truth. <laughs> I'm giving you illustrations because it does happen. Are we expectant that God will give us a word of knowledge? It's not crazy weird stuff. It's true. Let's practice. Let's grow in it. Let's encourage each other in the gifts that we have and that we're not using and then the gifts that we do have and we're just barely using or where we see profound elements of God using our gifts. I want to be a church that does this and declares this. It's time to know our place and to play our part in the church at large. It's time to know your place and it's time to play your part in the church at large. It's time to lift our eyes to the horizon and say, God, what are you doing in your church at large? God is moving worldwide with or without us. 
He's moving worldwide in powerful ways. Most of us, though, have grown up in America. Most of us have grown up in America. A North American Protestant church is mostly made up of congregational churches. Meaning, we are part of one congregation. And most of these congregations are relatively small. So this is our context. This is what we've grown up in. We grew up in a church, and we know that church, and that's our image of church. For our congregational settings, we need to rediscover the place of our congregational and place in our own ministry and where we fit in at church at large. And let me break it down to even a smaller saying. Growing up in a congregational ministry or knowing only this as church and not having a broader view of church at large, we need to and you need to rediscover your giftings and how that plugs into church project. And as church project, we need to discover our giftings and how that plugs in to the world at large. A majority of the Old Testament prophets were not priests. The prophet Ezekiel operated on the national level and he operated on the international level. So Ezekiel operated on the national level and the international level. His congregational experience was in Babylon, okay? And his worldwide denomination was Judah. And so we even see in the Old Testament, God began to do something that was this and this. We begin to see in this passage that we're going through, that God's saying, what you knew is this is going to become this, through the church at large. So in our context, and our lens of how we know church and see church, we typically, as Americans, see it as one congregational church. Us. Church project. Awesome stuff. More traditionally and universally, though, the church is viewed as the Catholic church. The church at large. The Catalante Tengen church all over the world. And if you've grown up outside of America, you have typically that view, that it's not about one congregation, it's about many congregations, and you're part of that. Me as a white male American Baptist, I add to the Catholic church, and God has been opening my eyes to the larger picture for a while now. And I think he's doing that to every single one of us. He's reminding us that we're not part of just a church. We're part of the Catholic church at large. Through, through my formation, as God's been growing in me and making me more like him, my eyes are beginning to open up. Why is this important? Because I, I don't know if you want to say I'm a priest, but in the Old Testament, it, that would be my title, priest. I, as a priest, am in God's worldwide church, and I'm part of it through all time. A tradition of 2,000 years and 3,000, if we want to count the Old Testament. And when you begin to think of yourself, not just as the pastor of church project in this time and space, but a priest of the Catholic church through all time of 2,000 years, you know what that does? You know what that does? 
it awakens a sleeping giant. We begin to operate in a different level. We think different. We don't think so circumstantial and small. We begin to think huge and big. And like Ezekiel, we don't think just Babylon, but we think Babylon and Judah. And we don't think just what is God doing here. He's doing it everywhere. We operate at a different level. And when you begin to think that way, you operate with more confidence. Warning, though, you can also operate very arrogantly. Warning. Look at your ministry from a different perspective. Look at your giftings from a different perspective. And when I begin to think of this, I am ordained, and I am paid, and I am licensed, and soon I'm going to be educated with my seminary degree. It's going to be awesome. But I'm ordained and I'm paid right here locally. This is what I do. But when I think outside of the realm of America, when I think of other denominal structures, and most of the world operates this way, other denominations, I can't get fired if you don't like what I'm saying. Why? Because I'm part of a larger denomination. I'm part of something that's bigger, that's driving it. And so we begin to think larger and larger and larger. And when we begin to think that we're part of the Catholic Church at large, all of us, that our giftings are part of something larger than just locally, it enables a different kind of ministry in our life. Because when today stinks, it just doesn't stink that bad. And when things are going awesome in church project, it's just not that awesome. When you think of the world at large, when you think that God is moving this whole thing and we're part, a small part of it, it makes the hard days easier to get through. And it makes sure we don't get arrogant and proud when things start going well. Make sure we point to God for all credit and glory. Whoa, what time is it? Wow, okay. I want to read through this. I'm going to show you what 17, 18, 19, and 20 all do and what they point to. Verse 17, and in the last days it shall be, God declares that I, God, will pour out my spirit on all, everyone, male, female, flesh, And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And what does all of this point to? Verse 21, look at verse 21. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. All of this is for verse 21. All of our giftings, all of our life is for verse 21. That people will come to realize that without God, they're empty. And that we need God. And that we need a Savior. And He uses us, His church, the Catholic church at large, 
as we sit in our individual seats with our individual giftings to point the world to the love of Jesus Christ. All of the verses leading up to it is for verse 21. All of it is for this. Tom Wright, a brilliant theologian, would say this. Those who had been with Jesus and had seen him alive again after his resurrection find themselves overwhelmed with the fresh wind of the Spirit and unable to stop speaking about what they had seen and heard. Put yourself in this setting. Put yourself walking with Jesus. Put yourself watching Jesus die. Put yourself watching Jesus come back. Put yourself watching Jesus leave again and putting the Holy Spirit on you. And put yourself watching the Holy Spirit give you gifts and signs and wonders and moving you in new ways and all of this. Why? Because you knew the person of Jesus Christ. Church, do you know the person of Jesus Christ? Are you locking eyes with him every single day? It's not about prophecy. It's not about the gifts. It's not about all these things. It's about pointing to Jesus Christ and knowing him. Don't get confused and don't get lost in the gifting stuff. You're gifted. Why? To point to him. And you will know you're gifted. Why? Because you're following him. You know the person of Jesus Christ. 2017 will be a great year as we each step into the anointing that God has given us already as his followers. And as his spirit rushes in in power, we're going to be able to encourage each other and to grow each other up in our gifts, whatever they may be. That's good. I want to ask us, if we would, just to close our Bible. I don't know what God is speaking to you, but I'd encourage you right now just just to listen. Maybe close your eyes and hold your hands out in front of you in just a, a way of receptivity, saying, God, I'm receptive to whatever it is you want to show and tell me and, and teach me. God, I pray for us right now. Uh, some of us may be so steeped in tradition that we won't hear. Or we may be getting confused. Some of us may, may be so hungry for gifts that it's out of control, and that's not right. God, I pray over our people. That we would seek you dive into your word that together we'd be figuring out what you're doing and what you're saying because we don't know how to do church in February of 2017 let alone January of 2017 tomorrow morning is a place none of us have ever been God we desperately need you We need to know you, God. Please show yourself to us. Not the fake you, not the alias you, not the you that our Sunday school teacher taught us on a felt board and we just never forgot or remembered, but God, the real you, 
today, the you that's alive and driving our circumstances today. God, we long to know you. God, please speak to our hearts. Show us who you are. And church, maybe there's some of us here sitting that we've never called on the name of the Lord. We've been living life on our own terms. May today be the day that you lay down control of your own life and say, God, I want to know you. I give you control of my life. If that's you today, just mark that on your response card as well. Just ask God to take control of your life. I'm telling you, it's going to be an awesome, crazy ride. But why keep trying to do it on your own? Maybe today's the day you surrender control of your life to God. And God, I pray over us that as you show us who you are, it deeply shows us who we are in you. Would you awaken the sleeping giants then that's in us? The stuff that we're passively saying, well, I might be good at. No, God, may we be the best version of us that you've created us to be. May you awake the sleeping giants in us as we are part of the Catholic Church at large that points to you. Move in our people, God. Thank you for bringing us together in this place today. I pray that this message continues to move in our heart and mind and that we just don't lay it aside as we leave today.